Evening, everybody. Welcome to the Rip Roaring Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jace, and with me today, as always, is my co-host, Gref. How are you doing, Gref? Yeah, I am good on this lovely Sunday evening. Thanks very much, Jace. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. You've been up too much today? Uh, I had uh, 12 screaming seven-year-olds at my house uh, for my youngest's birthday, and I never want to go through that hell ever again. Uh, it was uh, so I've, I'm now emptying my hot tub because it is effectively half filled with grass. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, it was all right. What about you? What did you get up to? <laughs> that does sound fun. Uh, well, I had the luxury, the luxury, if you will, of not having children. Um, so it was quite a peaceful one. Watch the Grand Prix. Uh, this is not an F1 podcast, so I won't go into it. But I'm a big F1 fan as well as a big Arsenal fan um so yeah happy to see lando norris on the on the podium nice yeah i'm a little bit jealous of uh the fact that you don't have any children right now but uh, <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> flexibility can podcast anyone <laughs> right uh let's get into the intro music and then we'll get on with it Right. So, as always, we'll kick off with our rip roaring review. It's coming off the back of a slightly disappointing result against Man United on Saturday night. Um, so, Grev, what's your, what is your Rick Roaring review? To do the game or, 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 or is it something else? It, it kind of. It's kind of this again. And this is, I wasn't, I was never looking forward to our first pod with a loss because they're always going to be a bit somber and a bit different, I think, to other pods that we do. But um, the, the, the way I want to take this Rip Roaring review is that Arsenal are back, you know, the, the web chat and the, the Twitter and the text messages, they're all catastrophizing everything that Arsenal are doing. And I think that is that is Arsenal, right? You know, if you've been a fan of Arsenal, you're used to this. It's like uh, everyone's seen the the meme of Arsenal going to Arsenal. There's like a, a guy in a backpack with a guy behind him with a stick and they're both Arsenal. We're just both like, we catastrophize like everything to do with our club when it's not going right. And this was a perfect example. We had uh, two defensive mistakes that led to goals that we're going to talk about in the first kind of section. And I, not that I enjoy it, but it's part and parcel of being an Arsenal fan, I think, is enjoying uh, the times when everything's blowing up in and around you and you can kind of uh, have to take the banter on the WhatsApp group messages. Uh, I haven't, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? So before the game, Man United tweeted out a little picture of Ten Hag's quote, we don't do friendlies, this is not a friendly. So I, I screenshotted that, ready to use when Arsenal were about to thump Man United. Uh, actively, oh, no. uh, deleted that picture as soon as I uh, saved it, pretty much. So, yeah, that is my, my review. What about yours, Jason? Uh, mine is straight into some detail. Uh, I have, okay, controversial. I think we should sell Tommy Yasu. Uh, and I think we might want to consider keeping someone like Kieran Tierney. Um, straight into the detail, I'm not going to go into defensive woes, but what I will say is about what I saw. Um, Tommy Asu, he did, he's not able to use his left foot if we play him left back. And I feel like he's going to get more games left back than he is right back because of Timber, because of White. Um, so I, th- this is a challenge, right? If we're, gonna, if we're thinking about playing him there, he needs to be better than his performance against United. I'm not going to catastrophize too much, but you could see the difference when you brought Kieran Tierney on, right? You he brings he's a he's he is a left back. This is he is an old school left back, and he brings something different. Um, he doesn't necessarily fit always into the way that we want to play, but if we do need to be more direct, Kieran Tierney is a better option at left back if we're not playing with the inverted left back, for example, like Zinni. Um, or we're not even putting Kivior in there. Uh, Tommy 
did not have a great game. He's always getting injured as well. He's been pretty inconsistent in the last season. Um, so, yeah, he I, there was a few times he, he wasn't tracking runs. Um, he was struggling in, in, in some circumstances when he was trying to move the ball about because he, he has to use his right foot and he's on the wrong side of the pitch for that. So, yeah, I went straight into it. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I would say going forward, he did offer, there was one of the bits where I think he had Anthony or, or another player on toast and he, he, was, he was doing not too bad and he was kind of doing tricks and spinning inside. But like you say, that's the only option that he's got. It's coming inside because he's naturally going to do that with his right foot. And yeah. we, we, it seems strange when you've got Tierney, a natural left back on the bench, and you're not using him. I think for Tierney, that would be a nail in the coffin for me. If you, you know, this game is, isn't important, I realise, but like as yeah. a as a left back, you're kind of thinking, look, there's a person not in his natural position playing in mine. So what does that say about me? Um, and I, I think you're right. Maybe I, I don't think there's. You know, I suspect he's probably on a four-year deal and he's probably been two years in, so you're probably not looking yet if you were going to move him on. But I would say the likelihood is that one of those timber or white is probably going to come into that centre-back backfill rather than three right-backs. But, you know, we've got a lot of options at that space now. Yeah. I think because for me, if you're going to use Tommy, like he's playing, is it left centre-back he plays for? Left-sided centre-back that he plays for Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if we're going to play him anywhere in preseason, maybe I'd like to see him there because we'll go on to defensive woes in a minute. But uh, you know, we might need some backfill there at some point. But if I, just just based on on you know, I, I'm con- I'm always conscious. That's quite a I mean, rip roaring review. It's meant to be kicking off with something a little controversial, right? So it does feel like, oh, just sell him. I'm not saying. Like just saying, like I'm definitely saying we need to consider our defensive options if we are consistently seeing some themes in our defence. And one of those might be that Tommy Yasu, his place on the right side is questionable because of the depth that we've built there. So then where else are we going to play him? And I, and, and I think Tierney is a better quality left back. Yeah, and, and the fact that he doesn't also naturally fit in that inverted role that Arteta has obviously been breeding and a lot of other left and right backs that he has would kind of, you know, but usually, I mean, I don't know for sure, but he seems to have one that's kind of natural, plays that role, as you say, like a Tierney style, and then a Zinni. And then on the other side, you've got White who does that, and then Timber. So it's, yeah, it feels like it's a bit of a loss, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And again, high-quality defender, money sitting on the table we need to bring money in yep uh and and, and surely Tierney was going newcastle or Celtic. i mean let's talk about him wanting to go back to celtic um but i mean celtic can't afford him so if he's not going to newcastle he's probably not going anywhere right maybe villa maybe um they've been um, doing some great business this summer by the way villa absolutely yeah great. yeah and and you can see a reunion with uh with emery quite easily there but mm. Yeah, um, it depends on what what Tierney wants as well. So we'll see, I guess. But yeah. I think that I think that moves us naturally into our, our our first subject, which is defensive woes. So, Greg, where do you want to start on this one? I mean, where to start? Um, yeah, two two kind of mistakes that probably led led to goals, particularly the uh, Gabriel one that was kind of just a fluff of his lines. And I think we we discussed previously that Gabriel has it in his locker and he, he can be quite inconsistent when it comes to defending. I, I I actually think that Gabriel is actually a top-class defender. I think he is He's probably not as self-assured as Saliba. Um, and he does remind us a lot of like the 2016-2017 the, you know, defenders that we kind of had where you naturally just assumed you were going to get one mistake a game. Mustafa. And you would just, yeah, exactly. Like, And you're just hoping that it doesn't cost you. And I think that's the problem. They always end up costing us. We don't seem to get like a get out of jail free card um, a lot of, a lot of times. So for me, uh, he was, he was at fault obviously for that goal, but generally throughout the game, like his defensive headers from corners and free kicks were brilliant as always. I think that there's not a lot getting past him in terms of balls into the box it's just generally speaking that there's always that one kind of issue that's going to happen. And unfortunately it happens where 
we, we let in a goal. And I, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't Anthony, put it that way. I think it would have been significantly worse if it was Anthony. Um, Sancho put it like, a, a, you know, a, a fantastic finish. It was a great shot, yeah. Yeah, and roof of so, yeah, exactly. So you can't really argue with that. Um, as for, I mean, I, I was interested from you. What, what do you think about Gabriel? Where do you kind of, do you see him the same as me or is it something a bit different? I definitely, well, the first thing, uh, I think we were kind of talking about this chatting as we were making notes. I started watching the game. I think we may, I think you said this in the last podcast, he always has a mistake in him. And he's been consistent now two games on the trot with this mistake in preseason. Last last part, I said it was rust. Mm, I don't give out excuses twice. He's just made a mistake. The and the problem is that I am seeing that a little too often. Everything else, do I agree? So I agree, solid. But I want. Uh, you can't have the same two defenders at centre back, right? You can't have the same two stars playing centre-back. So have, saying you want a Saliba star centre-back on the left isn't going to work. I think you can only have one person playing that style at the back. Um, and then you, you need a different type of defender. And so I think that they complement each other really, really well. Um, I just want to see more consistency from, from, from Gabriel. And he's got to get those errors out. Alsberg going to have to put Kivior in and give him a go. Tommy Yasu in, give him a go, um, at least in preseason, because we need to see what else works there. We've relied so heavily on that partnership last season, um, but at the same time, we relied on that partnership, but we had the occasional mistake. That occasional mistake, if that drops us points, we ain't winning the league. It's as simple as that. So, um, as much as we've probably got an emotional attachment to Gabriel, I think there's a lot of fans saying, and I agree, that he is underrated as a centre-back. Um, and I think he is. Like, you know, when we looked at that ESPN top 10 centre-backs, Saliba was in there at number four, and Gabriel wasn't even in the top 10. And I was like, after the season we had, I felt Gabriel should have been in the top 10. He wasn't, I think, you know, Brazil, again, didn't really consider him as part of the World Cup squad. You, know, you mean maybe I, there's some of the other people are seeing that we, we're maybe not, maybe we're blind to it being Arsenal fans, that other critics, journalists, etc. can can see that we can't because we're too close to it? Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I think there's something there that is, is this, um, there's something maybe, I don't know if there's something we're not seeing, but there's, there's definitely, uh, a perspective uh, on Gabriel that others have that Arsenal don't, and I think that's what is not getting him the respect he deserves. But the problem is our argument to say no, you should be giving him more respect, doesn't get helped when he continues to make those those mistakes. Um, and we need him to be better because we can't have two Salibas at the back. We can't, mm. we can't even if we were to bring in another player like some more plays more like Saliba on the left side. I don't think that works. I think you have to have two different styles. Like, Koscielny you know, and um, um, Mertesacker, like, they, they were actually really decent together. Okay, we weren't the best team at that time. They had a like, phase that, where I'm sure they had, like, 16 games unbeaten or something, and they, they were rock solid. Yeah, there was something that complemented them. Pert was, uh, reminded me a lot of Saliba, in a way, in regards to the composure <laughs> of the game. Not speed. Uh, <laughs> not, not not speed, no. But Koscielny had the speed. Yeah, yeah. Because she was the one that, that was. He was the ball uh, carrier. He would he yeah. would kind of take it forward, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, 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 those for me really complemented each other. And I, I think, I think, you know, both both Saliba and Gabriel do. But yeah, uh, we just need him to rhyme it out of his game. Um, if not, we need to make some changes. We need to be more. Um, I want to see a little bit more. I'm all for nurture, but if we're going to be serious, we also have to be more clinical. And as you yeah. said, last pod, make decisions earlier. Um, if we're not doing it, we need to make decisions earlier. 
I mean, that now's the time to do it, though, right? I know that you said I'm not giving out the same excuse twice, and that's that's fair enough, right? But we are in the second game of preseason. Uh, we've got another three to go left. Uh, we got, we have Barcelona, games, Monaco, Monaco, see. Okay, so two, and then the Community Shield. So there, there's, you know, this is why I'm not overly fussed, and we're going to talk about the friendly nature of this game later on. But I'm glad these mistakes are now. They're not against Forest. They're not against Fulham. They're not against Palace in those first kind of three games of the season, which is great. I would just say, and we haven't discussed it yet, but Ramsdale needed to do better. I, I do think he could have done better with Sancho's as well. But Sancho's was a really good hit and it was right in the roof. Yes, it was near post. You know, that one's going in either way. I do think the long, the long Bruno shot, despite the fact that he had a lot of time, he's got to get down, get down earlier. This long way out. It was a weak part. I mean, yeah. I I won't say what my brother in law calls it because it's a bit of an awkward thing, but he needs a stronger palm um, to to palm that away. Yeah. Uh, He is very. He's just not. I don't know. Like obviously, with his feet, he's excellent. His ball distribution, his his insight into where the ball should flow through the game is great. He's just not a good shot stopper. And you know, those two in combination need to work really well. You need like he is not a a top five keeper in the world. And ideally, that's what we need. So time will tell whether or not he's the right man for the job, or whether or not we could find. I mean, there's there's a lot of keeper movement in the market at the moment. Onana's obviously gone to United. They had Tom Heaton, and he he was doing was a lot right. of the. It, I mean, yeah, he when he had a, re- a relatively quiet game, we didn't really do anything. But during the penalties, if you saw them, he was doing the old shenanigans, giving it a load of stick, you know, fluffing up the the grass, walking out, having a bit of word in their ear. That kind of nastiness is something that you need sometimes. He's 37, right? He, he is a student of the game. Ramsdale yeah. maybe needs to take a leaf he was just reveling in it because he doesn't get many games that's right yeah um up in that shop window i suppose but yeah i i think i think ramsdale just had a bad game i think um there's a second point right to this which is i don't think we look great defensively um and and i think that that lack of composure at the back made it harder for Ramsdale to play out with his feet. It was twice he kicked it out of play. Like, he tried to get up the field and went out of play thrice by throw to United. Yep. Um, so I, I, I think that the poor defensive play and the bit of lack of composure, their press on us, we weren't ready for it. We, we, were, we, were, we were not prepared for that. We were not expecting that kind of game from them. I don't and, mean... Uh, I, I, and, I, I, and, and I, 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 I'm just going to say, maybe I'll have to let it off right now as a season preseason friendly and just let it go. But, uh, and I think Arteta, I didn't see his press conferences at the end, but I saw a quote which basically was like, yeah, that's not happening again. So um, I, I'm going to let it go for now. I'm just hoping we don't see a performance like that again in preseason. I tell you what, since since you've kind of led on to it, I'm going to reorder some of our discussion points just because I think it's worth discussing now. Um, learning from our mistakes is is something that maybe you just said Arteta there has kind of said, uh, you know, for us, we're not going to do that again. What I can't believe from this game in particular is this is a carbon copy of the uh, two occasions we played them last season. That ball over the top, that very direct play, uh, their high press, their low block when they were ahead. They are all uh, details, remnant of the games that we played for them. And it, uh, for me, it just feels odd that Arteta was, can say that's not going to happen again, but yet wasn't ready for that game plan from Ten Hag. Like, I think it was clear as day that they did it against us and it worked. Well, uh, I, I... I'm only going to say that they obviously went... They went a goal up last. I can't remember if it was both times. I think Rashford did the first time around. I can't remember off the second one. Um, but they, they went ahead and we had to claw it back. We had to do that a lot last season and we couldn't do it this time around. But it just feels mad to me to to set up in such a way, knowing that they were going to play like that and not being ready for it. I think we have a problem with playing a certain style of game. Um United were one team that did it. Newcastle were another. 
not the away game. We managed to overcome. But the home game, uh, two, fair, two, two elements. They, they were direct of Callum Wilson, over the top to Callum Wilson. Uh, and they had a low block. And, we and, they, time, and they time wasted a lot. <laughs> yeah, they time wasted a hell of a lot. But we can't play with we can't we 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 can't play that game. And I thought I I, I thought maybe with the Newcastle game away last year, maybe like we were starting to have a, a style of play that that mitigated that. But I think the preseason game opened up the can has opened up the can of worms again. I don't know if we should be catastrophizing, as you say, like Arsenal, Arsenal gonna be Arsenal. But uh, with fans catastrophizing, but I want again. It, it comes back to when the season starts. Every point is to play for. If we want to win the league title, we can't have slopes like that. We're going to have to figure out how to play against teams that are going to be direct and knock it over the top, because the press wasn't uh, aggressive enough from us, which allowed them to knock it over us. So then, well, we were trying to press, but not pressing aggressive enough. We left space. They countered. You know, there was quite a few times when then, you know, we, we were vulnerable. And, and you know, I think the one that the first chance that Anthony missed, we were really lucky. We were lucky mm. that Anthony is Anthony. Anthony, not the best investment in £100 million. Um, but, yeah. I don't have a, an answer for it apart from I need to see us learn from our mistakes and I don't really know what Arteta can do. Ex- well, we need to talk about the midfield and I think we will. So maybe we'll cover it in that. Um, but I, I, I would say, do, you said we're not... Sorting out. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. But you said we're, we're not learning from our mistakes. I think there is, there is that part to it, which is why I called upon it. But also I feel that we just don't have uh, a plan B. We we always play, and we we kind of feel um, a little bit like Leeds when they uh, came up. And I think it was Bielsa, right? And he was. Everyone always talked about that they just played that style, and they would never change the way in which they played, no matter the opposition that they were playing against. And that feels very much akin to like us. Like you talked about the Newcastle game, they. They set up maybe three or four different ways last season where they set up against different opposition and they really stifled us, particularly with that time wasting and those very direct balls to Callum Wilson. And then they play quite free-flowing Arteta Avengable football against some teams. It was it was good to see. And, and that's why a lot of people loved Newcastle last season for what they bought. And for us, it feels like you say, as soon as the team set up that low block, we kind of look around at each other and kind of go, oh. I don't know what to do now. We're all kind of maybe looking at Erdegaard, wondering when he's going to have the key to unlock that door, and it hasn't worked. And you mentioned it as well. Like we we didn't we didn't press in numbers like we have previously. There were occasions during that game in particular where Martin was on his own, isolated in that press. I mean, you've played football enough times where you maybe press on your own. You look behind you and you're like wondering where the rest of the players are coming in, and then they, they bypassed, you know, three players and and threw on goal. So that that seemed to be quite a a regular occurrence during that game against United. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, yes, I don't know if we have to think about then what our forward options need to be. Because we seem to only play one way and if there's a low block, we get, we, we get, uh, as you say, that we, we don't have a key to unlock the door, which means that where our, our game is fundamentally feel it feels a little a little bit flawed in that situation. Now I'd imagine if you had like a a Giroud, a Giroud in that situation, someone that you because he's a he's a striker you have for direct play, right? You knock it forward to Giroud, he brings it down, he knocks it down to the forwards that are running past him. You know he does it with France with Griezmann, he's done it at Chelsea with Hazard, he made a brilliant relationship. He used to do it with Theo. Um, like that, I'm not saying that we need to pivot completely away from our style back to the way we used to play. Um, but we need a different, something different if we need to change something. And I don't feel that we have, um, I don't feel that we have that style or a different style of attackers 
uh, in our on our bench to to change a game in such manner. We'll replace like a Martinelli from a Trossard, and then still try and pick pockets. Mm, it's very like for like, isn't it? Really, a lot of our yeah. kind of substitutions. Yeah, you know, Jesus for Eddie. It's like they're still fairly quick, pacey, uh, pressing kind of style strikers, but not tall and necessarily physically strong to to go one on one with a centre back, winning a header. Um, and that's that's a challenge, right? Because it just means that we can only play one one way. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I think it's a subject that you want to talk a lot about. It is those midfield combinations. We did likely start with what everyone expected to be that kind of midfield um, trio uh, of Rice, Havertz and Erdegaard. Um, but I think a lot of people are already, we've used that word a few times, but the, the 100 million you said about Anthony, for example, what we don't want to start seeing is the Twitter sphere blowing up that the Rice 100 million was was maybe too much, but maybe it's too early to tell. What do you What do you think uh, about the the kind of midfield combinations, Jace? Where do you Where do you think? I think that you would like to go down the Havertz route first, right? Yeah. So let's start with Havertz. Um, he's still getting to learn to play with us, and I think he needs to. We need to understand. We as fans need to understand what Arteta is trying to do with Havertz. Because I don't think we know. And so it's, I'm in that position where if I'm, because we're all judging him on Xhaka. That's what we're doing. I think we're all judging him on the performances from last season that we saw from Granite Xhaka. And what Granite Xhaka can do is he can play that left eight role and protect the defence. Um, and what we, I think, after, I think, I don't know what Arteta is expecting from Havertz. Is he expecting like for like? Because he's expecting like for like. Havertz has got to change his game. It's not what he's used to. Um, especially as he was playing as a, you know, a centre forward a lot for Chelsea. This is box to box midfielder now. It's a very different game. So that, I, I think that that's something, first of all, we need to understand. What does Arteta want from him? And then what does that mean for how we play? Because... What I was seeing was, uh, if I try and describe this for people listening to the podcast rather than watching on YouTube, but I saw Havertz as the most furthest attacking midfielder. And then I saw Odegaard kind of starting to drop back, especially when United were attacking and Havertz was still up the top of the field. And I was like, well, hang on. If that was Xhaka in that role, Xhaka would be sprinting back, absolutely sprinting back to try and make a transitional foul get a yellow or do whatever you know tactical thing that Arteta wanted him to do so I'm like I don't know if they're trying something different but either way uh Habits on that left side is not giving the left back enough cover maybe that's why I'm also wasn't so impressed with Tommy Yasso as well especially because he didn't get that support on that side right like you've there's a hole there um if you're playing with Sinny it's different game because you've got someone filling that space and it's maybe not so much a problem. Uh, but last night it felt exposed. I don't think Havertz had the best game, but I'm not going to go down there. He's not good enough. I think Arteta's got a plan for him. We just need to give it time to see what that plan is. However, the main concern really is he needs to figure out that plan and make sure he understands it before the season starts because we can write off every game now till till City. But if we don't turn up against City, I know City really is still a pre-season friendly. But the problem is it isn't a pre-season friendly. Not because everyone in England has got... No one's watching our pre-season games in the build-up. No one's going to watch what we do against Monaco or what really we do against Barcelona. Um, but everyone's going to watch how we play against City in the Community Shield. And if we play like we did last night, uh, it's going to create an aura in the press, and uh, and 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 it's going to start already. You know, the press are going to get started getting on at Arteta. The fan base is going to go negative. Everyone else is going to be taking the piss out of us. So, especially after the money we've spent. So, I think that it is in our own interest to figure out whatever we need to figure out before Man City, 
Um, and if it's the case that we need to give Havertz time, then let's give him time. Just because we spent £65 million on him does not mean that he has to start in that position at the beginning of the season. It needs to be on the bench, be an impact sub. He's a bloody good quality impact sub to have coming on. Um, I'd rather play Rice there. And so I'll hand over to you now before I talk about what midfield preference I'd like to see. <laughs> well, I think you've probably alluded to it already. Um, but yeah, so for me, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. The problem is Arsenal fan base is uh, we, we just want instant gratification. And we, we've seen it not work after one game. And so we're very much of the theory that oh, it's not going to work. Like you believe there's a bit of education there. You could see he wasn't tracking runs. You could see um, if he was trying to emulate Xhaka, you know, going forward, I think Havertz is a better player. I think he'll offer more going forward. And I think that's what we're going to get from this is like Xhaka was good defensively and he was good last season offensively as well, but he wasn't great offensively. And I think Havertz can do that. He just needs to be taught to do the other object of that game as well. The problem is, like you say, it is going to take time and it's whether or not we're willing to kind of wait to, to make that happen. We started so well last season. We expect... Arsenal fans expect us to start as well this season as well. Like, we, we can't be dropping points. We've got a relatively good run at the start of the season. We've got some really good opposition just to kind of get in front of and hopefully get some points on the board. And so maybe there is an opportunity to kind of do it there. But like I said, I'd, I'd rather figure out if it's going to work now in the the, the five preseason games that we would have had before we kind of go to that Forest game and then see it not work there. I, I'm, I'm, like you say, the, the City game is one that will... I think Arsenal do have a mental block when it comes to Man City. We didn't beat them both times last season, no matter how hard we tried. I think there was... It must have been the season before where we had an electric half against them and we still ended up losing. I think yeah. we were there for that game, right? I was there. I, I was at that, yeah. that game... Uh, that game we all left the ground very angry because the ref yeah. screwed us over. I think, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, you can make of it what you will, but effectively, we just seem to have this, like, we just can't get past it no matter how hard we try. It's something that is just written before we even walk out of the tunnel that we, we just know we're going we're gonna to lose. And no matter what we do and strive to do during that game, we can't, we can't get over it, which is a shame, and I'm hoping that'll change, but for me, so yeah, I'd give Havertz a bit more time. I would say that generally, though, from that game against United, we just lacked creativity, top to bottom. We we couldn't string real good forward passes together. I've not checked the stats, but I'd imagine they're not, you know, they're not painting a very rosy picture for us. We didn't have any real chances, honestly. We had, uh, I think, Eddie had maybe two, where uh, one was just uh, kind of quite quite wide, to be honest, but it looked good on paper. Um, and maybe a couple more, but um, it's quite reminiscent of, of a lot of our bad games under Arteta in reality, where we, we might have one or two shots on goal for 90 minutes, and that's that's really poor. Well, we just rely on Saka to dig us out of holes. Like, you know, Saka, when there's a bit of good combination play that created Martinelli's chance and Saka and Timber in the first half, uh, in the first, I think it was in the first 10 15 minutes, all United got, got a foothold on the game, and and um. I think one thing I made a note of was that I want to see us put teams to the sword earlier, hmm. like start fast. And I, I haven't, that was a perfect game. Start fast, kill them with one or two goals. And, and Matt Martinelli, two shots, heat and save from Martinelli. Fair play to him. Fair to seven year old getting down like that quickly. Um, we'll see me doing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, because we could have been one 0 up, and it could have been a completely different game. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I don't think there was many standout uh, opportunities. Eddie in the second half, as you said. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that Saka Saka was probably great. our best player in that in that game. I I think I think his once again was was giving down that side quite a lot of nightmares, but can't can't do it on his own. And that that. The reading of his, he always reminds me a little bit of Schneider. Like he'll come inside and you can't stop it kind of thing. It was always very much like he would, you know, it's coming. Mm. Um, or was it Robin? I can't remember. What It always comes Robin. inside. Yeah. And Robin. Like, yeah, and you just can't stop it. You know it's coming and he does it every time. And there was a couple of opportunities we had down the right-hand side through Saka that could have could have ended up in a goal, which just didn't, which is a shame. And I, I really don't want to 
you know, I think I'd be remiss to say that Man United were good. They played well. They had a game plan. They did the job on us. And, uh, you know, they, they won the game. So you can't really say very much other than that. We were poor. They were better than us and they deserved it. Um, but I would say like to you, you were alluding to who you want to see partner because I'm assuming Havertz is not the one. So for you, you know, where, where would you like that, that kind of midfield combination to end up? Well, right now, if you're saying tomorrow season starts, you're saying you don't know our first 11. I'm pretty clear on what I want my first 11 to be now. Um, but to specifically talk about the midfield, Party is, yesterday justified the reason why I do not want to do Thomas Party. Until we have someone who's playing better than Party and keeping Party out of the team, we cannot sell him. Because he is our spine. He connects our, uh, our, our attack to our defence. He takes the ball off defenders and then he can move that ball really quickly through transitional play. And he has quick feet and the ball sticks to his feet and he just has that ability. I didn't see Rice do it yesterday. And then seeing his party came on, I felt that we were better, uh, better with him. Um, on the other hand, as I said, like I'm going to give... I'm not putting any pressure on habits. If he needs to sit on the bench and learn how we play and take time to transition into what Artis wants him to do, that's fine. But in the moment, we all have Granite Jacker in our heads. And I think Granite Jacker, uh, well, I think Bryce can can do the Granite Jacker job. He's got an engine. He can go box to box. He's good in attack. We saw some of the goals he scored for West Ham last year. There some, he had some beautiful goals for West Ham last year. He plays for so, England as well when he plays as an eight, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, from my perspective, I'm looking at this going like, yeah. I, I in the moment, I am not comfortable um, with, uh, yeah, having habits there at the start of the season. I'm not going to be criticising him like I'm seeing a lot on Twitter. We need to give him time. But let's give him time. Let's not put any pressure on his shoulders. He doesn't have to start day one. And I don't think we can, you know, because we have a different agenda this season, which is hit it. So let him develop and come through naturally. Um, and start your season with Party, Rice and Odegaard, because I think that's a more short, confident midfield. I think Rice was... Um, also, Rice hasn't built that relationship yet with the defence, right? So putting him straight in the six and having to collect the ball. But at the same time, the way Man United were playing, it was a hard game to just suddenly be introduced into having to slightly play the Arsenal way in the sixth role. So, yeah, I think we've, again, I think you know, play with party for a while. L learn how it's done if we're going to eventually move him there. Um, but it just also backs up. I think just talking about those two topics that we just discussed, it backs up the two points that we've been saying. We still need another midfielder. Regardless, we don't. I don't want to say anyone, but I think we need one more uh, of high high caliber that can come off the bench. Because at the moment, you're going to be bringing off uh, you're bringing off the bench of Lacombe or an El Nini. Jorginho. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I forget to talk about Georgie. Yeah, fair, fair enough, actually. Yeah, that's probably one high-caliber replacement. But I'd still like to see one more. Um, and then, yeah, like, again, who's the Saka? We can't rely on Saka all season, so we needed another creative spark, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so uh, some some rice party uh, going on then, hopefully, for Jace uh, towards the start of our season. Where wanted to head next, and this was actually it came through in a lot of different threads and a lot of different parts of our notes. Was was this really a friendly? There's a couple of ways you can you can take this. Um, I'll let you start though, Jace, because I think you had some relatively strong feelings on where you thought Man United were taking this game. I'll let you rip into it. It wasn't a friendly. It wasn't a friendly. Like uh, I'm, I'll let you talk about Mar uh, Martinez. But um, even at halftime, I'm seeing Ten Hag demonstrating with the ref and having to be pulled away. I'm like, dude, this is a preseason friendly. Calm down. Like, what? Who are you trying to prove? What are you trying to do? Everyone cares. You ain't getting points for this. You ain't winning a trophy. Like, I, I, I mean, 
is it a psychological psychological battle? Do you think is that is that what it is? Because I don't think I don't think Arsenal are looking at it like that. So I, I, I you know, and the statement he made before the game, so I was like, it wasn't a friendly. It was a friendly in our eyes, clearly was, because as we would have turned turned up differently, I think. Um but it was not a friendly in their eyes. And I think he had probably done some pep talks before that game. So yeah, uh, that that I think I don't think it was a friendly. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different ways you can look at it. So yeah, firstly, the Martinez challenge is disgusting. Like I do not, I can't fathom. And you can see the ref just wasn't willing to really give out a lot of cards during this game because it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't matter. Um, that type is just unprofessional in my eyes. You know, this is not this is a professional environment. It's not a professional uh, game. This doesn't matter, and it feels like putting in that sort of challenge can can end people's careers. I think it was was dangerous. It was high, and it was just over exuberant. I think it was unnecessary. Um, I would say though to the fact that you said, "Yeah, it's a friendly." The the way that I look at this is that that shouldn't matter to us. We should play to win, no matter what the, the game is, and that's what they did. I texted this to a friend. I felt this was Man United's Cup final. I think it does say a lot about Arsenal. The fact that teams now want to turn up and beat us says a lot about how we've grown over the past three years. We, we we are a bigger beast than we were before and people see us as a different threat than we were before and thus people want to beat us, right? And people want to play against us in a certain way. Um, and the fact that we just didn't turn up is a bit frustrating. The only the only thing I would argue against it is that as a friendly, the, the, the things you've really got to take away, movement of the legs and fitness, no injuries, um, and just familiarity with new players, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you get those three, there's not you know win or lose, yeah. But you those three together, good, and that's what we got, right? We got familiarity with the players, we got a bit of fitness, and we got the opportunity uh, and got no injuries, which I think is the main part. So it's not all bad. Yeah, yeah. I think I have to ignore like social media and Twitter in the last twenty four hours since I've been, since the game, like. Did you just see just stuff coming through from Man United fans that winds me up? <laughs> like, oh, we've got a warrior. And it's like, no, you've got a, a psycho. <laughs> like, what's he doing? Like, like there's a level of I saw someone I saw someone say sorry, psycho is probably the wrong word, but there's a level of knowing when to be hard and when to be Discipline. I think it's maturity. I don't think he yeah. has the, the, the right level of maturity. Yeah, and 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 for me, it was just I was just I don't know. I was just like, you can be rough, you can be hard to play against, but it's a friendly. Like, calm, calm down. Like, well, you can see the the, the reaction of the players. It all got a bit heated in that moment, and yeah. all the players knew it too. It's like. You know, they're, they're, you're not giving 100% during that game, and, you, and nor should you be because you're you're still bringing yourself up to full kind of fitness. Was that I, yeah. I think it is. That, yeah, it is. And I mean, Rice was on holiday like five days ago in Portugal with Bruno Fernandes. Um, like, it just seems mad to think that that's the, the, you know, that's the difference. And so they were, Man United were fierce. They were sharp. They were hungry to beat us. And, and fair play to them, right? They played their game. They did it well. Yeah, but for for me, that is just it's just too much, um, and I do think that like I, I think that's a red in a normal game. That's a red. I know obviously yeah. he's different, but like in a normal game, I, I do think that he's gone. Yeah, uh, I do. Cool. I do. There was a there was a handball as well. That wasn't a handball. Hit Casemiro straight in the face, which which did make me chuckle a little bit. Um, yeah, that's. I can't with one hand say it's awful to say Martinez and then think it's hilarious that Casemiro gets hit in the face. So I have to take it back. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it was not a friendly, as you say. And uh, nor did I ever think it was going to be, you know, if we were playing Man United, Man City, Chelsea in a friendly in a preseason, it, it's going to be anything but. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree. Nothing would have added to that. I think um, move on, move on from that game, I think. Yeah. Right, well, that's mainly like most of our, our talking points. So as most of our shows usually end on what is known as our parking lot, 
There's a few extracurricular things that happen either part of this game. Um, Jace, where do you want to go first? Um, I'll also one more. Well, one more thing about the game that I, it's not really part of the game, um, but the pitch was awful. I mean, if we're gonna, <laughs> I mean, I appreciate it's an NFL ground, but the NFL finished like for the Giants and the, and the, and the, who's the other team? It was Mets. Mets. Yeah. Um, it finished a long time ago, so I don't understand why the grass was so bad. If you knew that you were having uh, two of the biggest football clubs in the world come and play, you could have prepared the turf a bit for it, in my opinion. Um, I thought, because that actually, that also, I think, had a bit of an influence on how we played the game. Um, and I think that was clear to see. So, yeah, that was a bit of a, that just annoyed me a little bit. Uh, yeah, both both teams obviously play on the pitch, though, right? But like I like you say, I think it was super sticky. Like it was just, it, it definitely wasn't the carpet. Put it that yeah, way. Yeah, we'll put it this way: we needed a carpet. Man United were playing direct carpet, weren't so important to them. Yeah, true. So, yeah, as a partial dry Giants fan, I was a little annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, go on, you go next. I've got a few things to talk about. So. Yeah, I, 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 just to say, I, I'm sure, like you said, if you hadn't said it from social media, you might have seen a little bit of a fight in the stands between the, uh, well, what looked like to be uh, groups of Arsenal fans. And it, it did uh, kind of call into light, you know, rugby does it, American football does it, all fans just kind of group together in this, like, lovely, friendly family. Everyone sits next to each other, has a drink and enjoys the company. And obviously, this was not the case. Um whether or not it's Arsenal fans infighting because they didn't like Havertz in the left centre midfield or whether or not it's something else entirely, who's to know? Um, but it's just comical, um, embarrassing behaviour. That they, And this is people like, it's like schoolyard stuff. They're just standing around watching it and filming it. It is just absolute silliness. Um, and I'm not here for it. That is such an awful part of like uh, tribalism in football um, that just doesn't, it's just it feels like such a, a, a an old adage that needs to go yeah i mean it was unnecessary right um these were people wearing unfortunately arsenal shirts fighting each other not there wasn't a united shirt in there because i know all the fans were all mixed up in in the ground um but you know we don't know anything about the situation so whether it was uh you know are these people just turning up and wearing a shirt to the game or they or they actually Arsenal, genuine Arsenal fans and you know there's a lot of supporters clubs out in the US so we don't know any of the reasons behind it but you just don't want to see it and I think really it just ruins it for the fans that are there that don't get to see Arsenal every day right like you know this is a chance there's a lot of supporters groups in the US and I know there's a number in the in New York and DC and along along the um the east coast so you know they've all traveled probably far to get to the game they just want to watch the game to have that going on and and it was quite uh it was quite sprawled out wasn't it like it started sprawling mm. out a little bit so you know concerns of people's safety when you know you just want to watch the game and then you're being impeded by that going on so no one wants yeah. to see that so yeah I agree you mentioned um to me uh, we we've talked actually on both the first uh, and second episodes of the podcast about the striker situation the fact uh we sent out a tweet um just before the game about the starting 11 and Balogun was was our pick to go through as the nine to see him in that role and to get him the opportunity to showcase what he can do particularly in front of what will be his home nation um, so a good stage for him to fight. He should be yeah. uh, the poster boy of American uh, uh, soccer, should I say, not football. Um, but didn't start. And K- did he come on? I can't even remember if he came on. I don't think he did. No. Um, so what's going on there? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? I think it's done, isn't it, really? Like, he's only had, it was like, I think there was a tweet. He had like 25 minutes one game, uh, 15 minutes another, something like that. Like it's not uh, maybe more, but he's not played a full half in three games now, um, and one game he's not even made it on. So there was no reason the way we were playing yesterday why we couldn't have we couldn't have brought him on. Um, so it tells me it's done. It tells me that probably there's negotiations going on um, with maybe Inter Milan or one of the clubs that are rumoured to be interested in 
in him and maybe we're just safeguarding our investment and money on the table. That's what I'm taking away from that because there was no reason not to play him. As you say, I wanted, I want to see him play down the middle. I want to see him have a chance, but he's not being given the chance. Yeah. So it tells, tells me that probably the decision has been made, I guess. Yeah, I think if he doesn't start, if he doesn't play a part in the next one, then yeah, it, it's a done deal. The, the, the most interesting thing to me out of the whole situation is that we know what we're getting with, with Eddie Nketiah. We know what to expect. We've seen him play plenty of games. We know exactly his style of football, the way he plays, the shots he takes. Uh, we don't know Balogun in this Arsenal system. And so this is the ripe opportunity for us to kind of look at what that looks like. And, and we didn't, which is just, I don't know, maybe, maybe Arteta sees enough in training that he doesn't need to. Um, perhaps, but I just, I'm not, I, you know, as a stadium going fan, I haven't had that opportunity and I'd like to kind of see it play out just to see where he kind of fits in. But we obviously looks like we're probably not going to get that opportunity. So yeah, eggs are in the air, Eddie and Ketia basket. Um, but that's not to say if we don't get a good price, we can't reinvest as well. So let's see. Interesting. Yeah. We need another attacker, creative, something, someone who can, Pull something out yep. of the bag if Saka's not turning up. So I look forward to seeing Mbappe. Yeah, next <laughs> uh, yeah maybe we could do a full pod on Mbappe. I'm sure that you'd have a lot to say. I've watched quite a lot of his uh, playing in, in league. Uh, um, to to end the podcast, so I, I did say that my WhatsApp has been blowing up since the podcast has started with a lot of people giving us things to do, things to change, things to look at. One of the things that came out was a question. Uh, so listener Ben Hudson sent in a question to me he'd like us to answer do we think that Declan Rice will stay at Arsenal to the end of his playing career I'll let you have a stab at it first Jace Hmm. that's a good question based on the contract he signed uh, he's going to stay most of his career even, even if it's not to the end of his career um, and I think it really depends on which... I don't have a direct answer. It depends on which way his Arsenal career goes. I think if he is the Jacker replacement, the strong, dependable, always fit, and can fairly 8 out of 10 consistent player, then, yeah, I think he probably will. Um, if if we if he's not quite that player, then then he might not. He signed basically a six-year contract. It's five plus one. That takes him to his 30. So we're getting his prime years. So if it all goes well, you know, he's going to be a captain-like figure potentially in the club. Then sure, I can see him staying beyond. I can see him having an extension. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I think that's what we want, right? You want someone that's going to cement themselves as a bit of a club legend, uh, English player as well in, in centre mid. So yeah, I think I think that's what you want. Um, so hopefully that's probably the answer, but not one hundred percent sure. <laughs> I think it's it's a bit too hard to answer after two two half game appearances. Yeah, it probably is. The only the only things that are swaying my decision. So I think he will. I think he'll stay until the end of his career. And there's two things that are kind of think of that but like you say firstly is the contract takes him to his 30 the likelihood is we'll renegotiate that after three years and get another two on it taking him to, to 32 which is basically where the ceiling is for most playable you know they, they can go beyond that but that's where you're going to get the, the most bang for your buck the second is the price um he was uh a heavy priced player we are very unlikely to get a resale value anywhere close to that unless he is absolutely electric and wins us the league and wins us the Champions League over the next two years. You know, it's very rare. Arsenal are an awful selling club. We, we are terrible at selling players. We never get good money for anything that we put on the table. And thus, we are not going to get 100 million plus for Declan Rice in any form of resale. And so that in itself, I think, is something as a business decision you would look at and kind of go, you're probably going to have to keep him. Either way you look at it. So I, I think he will. Um, but yeah, a lot, maybe too early to tell. But I don't want to sit on the fence, Jess. Well, I'm saying yes. I'm saying. <laughs> it, it, but I, I think the only thing that would 
prevent him staying is the position he finally cements in midfield, depending on where it is. Um, because, you know, someone like Modric, yeah, that's a very, that's a style of midfielder you can probably keep uh, yeah. for a very long time. But the other positions rely on, I mean, how many players who play in those kind of proper core central midfield positions, centre and, and defensive midfield positions, stay if their club to the end of their career and don't go down, down, down the leagues or back down to lower capability teams. And I think it's very rare that you see someone stay these days. Maybe in the old days, yeah, you know, Steven Gerrard's probably probably one of the last ones. But um, well, no, he went to Galaxy as well, didn't he? So maybe he's not even. Maybe he's not even one of the last ones. Um, okay. <laughs> maybe. Um, but oh, I, I've got one more parking lot then, actually. <laughs> actually well, I was I was only going to say that Ben Ben reckons that he'll go to City, um, and likely you know after two years or so he might go to City. But like I say. Well, depends on how he plays, and yeah, and it relies on yeah. Rice entirely, really, and and the club in terms of the fee that we command in order to make him move on after that period of time. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. That's fair. I mean, I'd like to see it, and if it, if he does, that means he's done well, and we've probably won some trophies. So, yeah. Go on, then, uh, Jace. Where, where are you taking us? I'm excited now because I didn't know about this. <laughs> um, Tottenham inquiring for Mbappe. I just no, you're, no, it's not, I've surely. Seen, that's what I've seen. Um, I don't know if it's real. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a hell of a lot. Uh, basically, there are a number of clubs in the Premier League who have inquired since he was officially put up for sale last night. Um, so one of the Saudi Arabian clubs, apparently Chelsea, Spurs, and, a, and I think there's one or two other unnamed clubs in the UK. So in the Premier League, I've got to assume that we would be in the mix because I could see it. Unless we're worried about his attitude, but I'm sure. Our I think we're worried about his happy. salary. We're worried about his salary, Jace. Surely the salary is the thing that's turning everyone away. Uh, well, I can see. Yes, yes, you're right. Um, I mean, put it this way: I just find the fact that I keep seeing rumours that Tottenham are going after him. I find. Just quite funny because not because of, like he would never go to Tottenham. Tottenham would, had got to had evolved to the space where we are now. Um, then I think Tottenham's a legitimate option. But where Tottenham are right now in this moment, he's just going to be a Kane replacement, and I don't I don't see him going there um, in Tottenham's current position. The reason I think. I said to the other day I wouldn't like to have him because of his attitude now, like, as I would have had him in a heartbeat because I've watched him since he was at Monaco and I've always wanted him. Um, so if I set the source's attitude out, I'd take him because we need that creative player. I think that there's a potential way in which financially we could probably monetize it. And what I mean by that is we're almost creating the Super League in the Premier League right then. Because you've got um, you've got the new you know Messi and Ronaldo uh, have retired or yeah they pretty much have retired they're now playing in their retirement leagues sorry that's a bit disrespectful to those leagues but they're not the same caliber um, and so you have you've, Harland you've made, Mbappe who uh, be, yeah yeah and everyone wants to watch Harland versus Mbappe like they used to want to watch Messi versus Ronaldo so I can see the appeal to get him to the Premier League and it would be fitting for him to probably join us or maybe Liverpool if Liverpool come back this year. Um, but I would, I'd like to think that maybe we, what we're doing, the way we play might suit him. So yeah. Okay. But yeah. I just, I so, so it sounds like we're, we're sending Jason crew over to uh, France to complete the deal for Mbappe, selling him on the idea of the English Premier League being the new Super League. Uh, look forward to seeing how that plays out. Hopefully Jason's going to give him some of his salary and we might have to all give him a bit of our salary if we're planning on trying to get Mbappe because he is an expensive guy. 
Um, but uh, other than that, we've had a good podcast. Thank you very much, Jace, uh, for joining me and not making it as bad as I thought it was going to be. And hopefully it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be either. No, got over. I've already got over my losses. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's very cathartic at least. Uh, so I enjoyed that. So, uh, yeah, thanks everybody for joining us. I would say uh, later on, we'll put a tweet out with a hashtag if you would like to ask us any questions in a future pod. Or if you do want to add anything into the YouTube comments, then please do it there. And we'll try our best to answer those questions in the parking lot in a future episode. Um, other than that, thank you very much for joining us and hope you have an enjoyable evening. Cheers, guys. Thank you.